would stand with me. I'm going to read from today's passage. It's going to be in 1 Corinthians 13, a uh, break from Exodus. 1 Corinthians 13, which is the classic passage in all the Bible on loving relationships. And of course, we will apply it to loving our kids as fathers and as mothers. So, 1 Corinthians 13, I'll be reading part of the passage. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And then the final verse of the chapter. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. This is the Word of God. Please be seated. Well, church, this ringing statement, this foundational passage on the priority of love, on the supremacy of love, is so strong for every human relationship, whether or not they be neighbors, friends, co-workers, family members, uh, enemies, strangers, whoever. If we don't love people, nothing else we do matters. And if that is true in general, how much more true is that for our own kids, for those of your parents, the priority, the absolute vital, essential nature to prioritize loving our kids. It's a strong call. And that's what we're going to press into this morning. Now, all of us who are parents, every parent I know has a feeling of love for their kids. But research indicates, surprisingly to me, that a lot of kids don't feel loved by their parents. And it's kind of an odd thing. So we, at times, must have this feeling of love, but we don't express it in an adequate way that little children and perhaps teenagers and even grown kids feel loved. And so we're going to look at some of the concrete ways, tangible ways, uh, applying 1 Corinthians 13 to parenting love, to parenting love. We're going to press in. I've got 10 critical ways that we express love. Now, let me just say, uh, nothing I'm going to say today will be new for you. But most of biblical teaching is not uh, teaching something new, but reminding you of what you already know. You know, we don't want to be creative. We want to be faithful. And these are applications of how we can love our kids better. And they'll be just reminders for you. Some of these you'll be thinking, uh, hopefully that, you know, that's going well, that's going well, that's going well. Maybe, oh, yeah, that one. I've kind of forgotten about that one. I need to raise the bar on that one. So be open to the Spirit of God this morning. Okay, I'm going to begin here. Number one, tender affection. Now, that's the obvious place to me to begin because if a father is going to communicate love, you know, the, the, the classic example of the um, you know, unsmiling, stoic, uh, non-touching, a stern-faced uh, father, that just doesn't feel loving. And so we need that tender, warm affection that includes smile, hugs, touch, tears at times. I love you at times. The, the warmth 
of love. Some of you might be thinking, you know, that's just not the way I am. That's just not the way I was raised. Well, big deal. Doesn't matter if you were raised that way. God can give you grace. So if that's not your natural bent and personality, it doesn't have to be natural. It doesn't have to be comfortable. It wasn't comfortable for Jesus to go to a cross for you. But he did it because that's what you needed. We want to love not the way it's comfortable for us, but the way our kids need to be loved. Now, Ross Campbell uh, is a Christian child psychiatrist in Nashville, Tennessee, Chattanooga, Tennessee. He's written a few books on parenting. Uh, One of those books, How to Really Love Your Child, is my all-time favorite parenting book. And uh, we put it in our bookstore along with my favorite parenting book for teenagers. And that one is called uh, Parenting Teens with Love and Logic. Both of those books not only are going to be in our library, but they would be in our bookstore. Along with that, we've got two children's Bible, but we may have sold those out. But here's what they look like if they're not sold out. There's two children's Bibles, one for the littler kids and one for a little bit older kids, but you could get them somewhere. Um, The Ross Campbell book, How to Really Love Your Child. By the way, he's got a book called How to Really Love Your Teenager. That's not the good one. It's How to Really Love Your Child. Get the right one. He talks about the research on tender touch, and he says some surprising things. Research shows that few children receive enough tender touch. Preschool girls receive the most, five times as much as little boys. That may be one reason little boys have six times as many psychiatric problems as little girls do. He said fathers especially have a difficult time giving adequate loving physical contact. Some men are afraid that if they give too much physical contact to their sons, they, be, they may become effeminate or homosexual. But the exact opposite is true. If a boy is going to have a healthy sexual identity, he needs to feel close to the most important male in his life, his father. The more love he feels from his father, the stronger his sexual identity will be. And, of course, that, inc- that includes uh, tender touch, but every other kind of love. So, first of all, tender affection is absolutely vital for us expressing our love in the way that our kids feel loved by us. The second one, kind of from the opposite uh, end of things, is firm discipline. The Bible teaches that loving parents have a combination of tender affection and firm discipline, both love and authority. Uh, They need the authority to know that we care enough about them to give them boundaries because they know intuitively that they need boundaries. In fact, again, to, to, to quote Uh, a a children's psychiatrist, this time Burton White at Harvard, who did a 10-year research project with 15 researchers. There's a lot of research. Their conclusion after all of this research was this, that the best parents were firm disciplinarians while simultaneously showing great affection for their children. Now, that is something that could be right out of the Bible. This combination of tender love and firm authority are both vital to expressing love to kids. Some parents, you know, they want to grow up and just, yeah, I just want to be my child's friend. Well, you know, that's well-meaning and good, but the child doesn't need so much a pal but a parent in your case. If you're friends, um, if you focus on being parents now, it's more likely you'll be friends with your child later. I'm interested in the very strong passage in Hebrews 12 on the discipline of fathers. Now, the passage, which I'm going to read a part of in Hebrews 12, is ultimately talking about God the Father and the way He lovingly disciplines us, but He assumes it 
He assumes the basis, the whole premise, is that loving human fathers discipline their kids. This is what he says in Hebrews 12, 6. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Our Father in heaven disciplines us with loving discipline. And by the way, behind every parenting principle is the example of a perfect Father in heaven. And the ultimate parenting principle is the way God fathers us, the way God parents us is the way we want to parent our kids. And that includes both tender affection and loving discipline, which communicates to our kids, my parents really care. Enough, not only to give me boundaries, but to enforce those boundaries. All right, the third one, focus listening. Is it not true that God is the God who always hears us when we call out to him? He is the great listener, the awesome listener. And how much that means to know that no matter where we are or what we have done, we've got a Father in heaven who has riveted his attention upon us. And there is a power behind listening in every relationship, and certainly that includes the parent-child relationship. I came across this story this week of a master stone carver in England, who learned his craft, his art, working on 13th century British cathedrals. And he got really good at uh, working and restoring these ancient works of stone art. Two writers with Smithsonian Magazine went to watch him, and this is what they observed, that when he would take his little chisel out and tap it on the stone, he would listen carefully to the sound that the stone would make so he would know how strong and sturdy that the stone was underneath. And depending on the ping that the stone would make, he would change the angle of the, of the chisel or the pressure in which he hit it. But he was enormously careful to listen so that he would not break off a big piece of that valuable stone art. And he not only would listen with his ears, but he would rub his hand over the concrete to get a feel for what was going on in there. Now, if the master stone carver, Simon Verity, gave inordinate attention to listening to the stone, how much more shall we as parents listen with all we've got, straining to hear and to see and to feel everything written on their faces, how much more vital it is that we be good listeners. You know, when John Paul was only three years old, that's our youngest son, now 25, I've got some notes that I came across this week that I had given a message on listening with parents. And in the following week, for 10 days, I must have been uh, preoccupied with a sports section or some book or something, and so that I was answering a series of questions like this. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And after a while of that, he said to me, Dad, you cannot answer with "Uh uh-huh anymore. And that happened twice in 10 days after I had preached on the importance of parents listening. (laughs) So I just want to say that uh, it's it's one thing to know these things, 
not even to speak them, but to, to, to be reminded of the awesome power of the listening ear. I'm amazed, even with our youngest grandchild, Wren. Yes, I've got to work in another Wren story this morning. She's only four months old, and uh, she cannot talk yet. She cannot say words, but, but she tries to communicate with us. You know, she's got a few sounds that she makes, and her eyes are watching mine to make sure I'm fully attentive, greedily looking for my eyes. Every child of whatever age, from birth to 60, needs that to be listened to and understood. Now, if, if I was struggling with my kids, you've got today, I've got today, even a bigger barrier with listening. And what is that barrier? Well, if I had my iPhone, I would pull it out of my pocket. You know, technology. Okay, I had the TV screen, which is still a barrier, but I also have today the iPad, which I didn't have when John Paul was three, and I've got the cell phone. And if you are talking with your child, I hope that you are not looking at your cell phone. I hope that if you're talking with your child that you don't hear your cell phone ring if somebody calls you and answer it and give the message to your child that this person is more important than that person. I hope you don't even have it on vibrate so you're not checking it. Turn it off. It's a barrier to the most important way that we express our love, and that is by fully attentive and focused listening to our kids, looking deep in their eyes. Okay, that's three. Number four, be there. Be there. Okay, it's not going to feel very loving if the dad's never there. And not only be there, but be there when it counts. Be there for the big things of their life. Be there for the high points and for the low points. Be there for the big game of the big piano recital, for the graduation ceremony, and be there if her heart is broken to hug and comfort. Be there a lot for your kids. I can remember, again, with John Paul, he was really into basketball when he was in high school. It was his freshman year. It was in February, late February, he had come to his biggest game of the season. He was playing for College Park High School, playing against uh, the rival Woodlands High School, the hated Woodlands High School rivals. And uh, it was their big game. And I found myself on a Friday night, rather than in the stands clapping and cheering, I found myself in a hotel in Chandigarh, India, where I was there to train pastors from India. Now, that's a good thing to do, but it was more important at that time that I be for my son's biggest game of the year. And I decided, sitting in that hotel on a Friday night in Chandigarh, I won't do that again while he's in high school. And um, there are certain things that you just want to be there for. Now, I realize that's a challenge for some of you guys. Some of you guys are pilots, uh, flight attendants. Some of you travel a lot with work. You need to travel a lot with work. Then you've got to sort that out probably together with your wife, and if your child is old enough, in conversation with your child. What are the things that you absolutely cannot miss, and what are the things that, you know, Dad's just not going to make this one? The point is, you have a heart and a spirit. I want to be there for my child as much as possible. Okay, be there. All righty, my next one is kind of the other end of this one. My next one is give them freedom. Give them space. Don't hover over them at all times, at all places. If 
Number four, I titled, Be There. I could entitle number five, Don't Be There. All the time. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? You know, kind of the helicopter parent, the, the hovering, the, the, the smothering parent that's just there too much. And um, it's important that we give them space and give them freedom. By the way, with the uh, uh, parent who is there for the games, I, I don't mean the, the little league, classic kind of little league parent who is uh, there for their child at everything and, and screaming at the umpire and pressuring their son to, to do it better and better. There are a lot of those kind of parents around, and uh, true confession is that I was somewhat that way myself, too competitive, too into it. Give them a little space. Uh, I heard, heard, uh, well, I talked with a friend once about Gerald Irons in our community. Some of you know the name Gerald Irons, who played NFL football and is a wonderful Christian man in our community. He and his wife, Myrna, raised three sons who were all outstanding high school football players, and they played at Michigan, Nebraska, and Notre Dame. And I once asked a close friend of his, uh, tell me about how Gerald, uh, how he did that with the football, you know, what he did. And this is the first thing he said. He never pressured them, never. Never kind of pushed them with football. He said he was available if they wanted to play, he would support them, but never pushing them. And that is a great example of a Christian father. All righty, on the other hand, it's giving them freedom, giving them space, don't smothering them. Uh, that means things like put your child in the nursery at the right time. Uh, let them go to camp that week. At times, you know, as they get older, they'll go away to camp for a week. Let them spend the night. You know, from the time a child is born until they leave home about age 18, you are increasing the level of independence of that child so that they're ready, fully ready, to leave home somewhere around the age 18. And I know that today's society, they come back, well, that'll happen, but we want to give them independence so that they're ready to leave. Okay. Number eight, number six, encourage them. That is a, a vital part of expressing your love is to clap and cheer for your kids. You know, you ought to be a master at it. You know, that was so beautiful, that painting. You are such a good dancer. I love the way you share toys with little Timmy there. You're so pretty. You know, a child can hardly get enough of that kind of loving affirmation from mom and dad. My favorite genre to read in is biography. And one of my, probably my top ten biographies is a little bit of an unusual one. It is Norman Schwarzkopf's tale about his life, It Doesn't Take a Hero. It came out some time ago. Many of us remember that he led the Allied forces in the first Gulf War. And uh, I think all of us were just impressed by the quality of man that he was. His biography was especially interesting for several reasons. His time in Vietnam in the 60s as a colonel leading the Allied forces, but also his time growing up. He tells about when he was 10 years old, his father, this was during World War II, his father was stationed in Tehran, Iran. So he's way over in Tehran. His 10-year-old uh, birthday comes, and he receives this package from his dad in Tehran. It is a 300-year-old Persian battle axe with all these Farsi inscriptions on it. Now, can you imagine how much a 10-year-old boy would like that? I mean, I would love that today as a 62-year-old. And um, so he gets that gift, and with it is a letter from his dad that he entitles the letter, 
a prediction of your worthy success in the battle of life. Now, what kind of dads write letters with those kind of titles? Loving dads. In this letter, he speaks warmly about his love for his 10-year-old son. And part of what he says is this. His dad writes, remember, he's 10 years old. It really is something to have completed the first decade of your life and to look back over the years and realize all the joy and pleasure that you have brought to mommy and me, the grand association with your lovely sisters, your accomplishments and realizations, your friends, your experiences, and progress along life's highway. I am proud of you, my boy, and look into the augury of the past and see a glorious future. Deep in mommy's heart and my heart lie unspoken hopes and ambitions for you, an abiding love and understanding and the knowledge that the success of our lives will be written in your deeds. Now, here is a father. Some folks would, would stereotype a military father as kind of being a stern, uh, not so warm and loving, but, but he is expressing his deep love for his son, how proud he is of his 10-year-old son, and how much he believes in him for the future. He is clapping and cheering. And your kids never get too old. This morning... Um, I text my dad, Happy Father's Day. I love you and I'm proud of you. He texts me back, uh, Happy Father's Day. We love you and we are very proud of you. That still means a lot to me at age 62. Your kids don't get too old for that kind of stuff. Clap and cheer. Number seven is teach. You got to teach your kids. You know, that, that's part of loving them. Now, a couple of weeks, well, four weeks ago, Five weeks ago in Mother's Day, I talked about the most important way we teach is to simply model what it means to love God first. That's Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, the key passage on parenting in the Bible. First of all, model what it means to love the Lord your God with all your hearts. But there are times in which we do more than model. We speak up. Uh, we're proactive. You know, kind of like that humorous video. You know, you, you, you do need to teach a son how to tie a tie or how to shave a face. Uh, our kids, particularly in this society, they need to know that they should avoid debt if at all possible. They need to know that if they're going to use a credit card, that it is absolutely vital that they pay that credit card off at the end of every month. They need to know that if you love God, the first 10% of our income goes to God. It doesn't belong to us. They need to know the priority of God in your life by the fact that you show up at church on Sunday to worship God with God's people. They need to know how to love a woman and treat a woman. They need to know that when they're shaking a hand to look straight into somebody's eye and give them a firm handshake. They need to know how to drive. Uh, there's all kind of things that our kids need to know. And we need to teach them. A lot of it's by modeling, but not all of it. A couple of weeks ago, I saw an old friend, doesn't live here anymore. He, his background was a Marine pilot, later FBI. And he's got three adult kids now. And he was in Texas a few weeks back because his youngest son just graduated uh, from his Air Force training program, Air Force Special Forces. And he told me this story about his youngest son that when he's watching uh, a sports game or something with his youngest son, he's noticed that his youngest son, if a woman with a bikini or something comes up on the uh, screen, that his son automatically looks away. 
And he asked his son, why do you do that, Ryan? And he said, because I watched you do it. And then my friend went on to tell me that his older son doesn't do that because when his older son was growing up, he was a new Christian and he didn't know enough to look away. But by the time his youngest son came, he knew, what, he knew enough. Dads, we are always teaching. And sometimes we use words. Teach. Eight, we communicate love to our kids when we say, I'm sorry. You know, every, every parent is deeply flawed. Um, I hope, by the way, that you aren't coming in here this morning with a load of guilt about parenting. Parenting is the biggest challenge of life. Nobody's perfect. Just love them and do your best and give it to God. If you feel like you've messed up big time, then receive the grace of God. Maybe you go to your kids again and apologize, or maybe you've already done that, but just receive afresh the grace of God and determine from this point on, I'm going to love them with all I've got. Your residual guilt will undermine your every attempt to love your kids. So let that go. Jesus paid for that sin. But we all make mistakes, and we simply need to say, I'm sorry. In fact, when we say, I'm sorry, or forgive me, or I was wrong, uh, that does two vital things for your child. First of all, when they feel wounded by you, it brings healing to the relationship. I'm amazed whether or not it's in marriage or with kids or with coworkers or with any other relationship, that simply saying from your heart, I'm sorry, has such power to heal things. It's just amazing. That's why they say marriage is the union of two awfully good forgivers. You know, we just got to say, I'm sorry, and receive people's forgiveness. But with kids, you know, their precious little hearts are wounded. You mean the world to them, and they need to hear you say, I'm sorry. They do. They need it for, for their hearts. But they not only need it for their hearts, they need it for their minds to learn how to say, I'm sorry, for when they grow up and when they're married or when they have kids, or when they've got co-workers, they need to watch you freely saying, I'm sorry. So, important way to express, I love you. Number nine, pray. Pray with them, pray for them, pray over them. I mean, that access is God's power, so vital in love. They need to know that you pray. Why was Paul, the apostle, in so many of his letters, going to such extreme lengths to communicate, I am always praying for you. That's his spiritual kids. He's got to communicate, I am always praying for you. Your kids must know you are always praying for them. It says love. Okay, I got one more. It's an unusual one, but I believe it's true. I know it's true, and that's this. If you want to love your kids, number 10, don't make them all important. It's kind of a challenge because on the one hand, we've got to communicate to our kids that they are very important to us, but yet not that they are all important or first important. How do you do that? Well, really, it's simple. It's not that you hold back your affection and love from them at all. It's just that you love God more. All you have to do is decide Jesus Christ is the most important thing in my life, period. And it will bleed out of the rest of your life. 
It will bleed out. Your kids will know it. Some of you aren't convinced that this is important. Um, it's widely violated in the Woodlands area. Tons of parents make their kids all important. They're meeting their own needs more than their kids' needs. Your kids do not need the pressure of being the most important thing in your life because if so, then the message that they get is that mom and dad's happiness depends on how I turn out, and they will probably resent you for it. Your child should not have the responsibility of making mom and dad happy. Your child needs to know that they are so important to mom and dad, but Jesus Christ is first, and I'm going to get my happiness and my joy from the Lord. They need that. They don't need you to live your life for them or in place of them. So, kind of paradoxical, but just like God, make your kids so important, but do not make them all important. All righty, how'd you do, parents? How'd you do in any relationship, folks? Because these things apply to all of our human relationships. Just about all of them do. You know, this is, this is how we love folks, and, and this is what God has said is the most important thing about us. After loving God, it's loving people in concrete, tangible, specific ways. How are we doing? Let me remind you, it's never too late. Let me remind you that nobody's perfect except God in heaven as the perfect parent. Let me remind you that you can depend upon God to give you grace, to empower you to, to love better. We all need to raise the bar. Let me remind you that the Great Commission says that we are here on the planet to make disciples. But if we've got kids, the most important people for us to disciple is our kids. And the key way to disciple them is to love them, love them, love them. You know, when we talk about making disciples around Wood's Edge, that's our five-year vision, all about it. That means simply to help people grow in Christ. If they don't know the Lord, like our top five, we want to help them uh, grow into Christ to become a Christian. If they already know the Lord, we want to help them grow in Christ. That's what it means to disciple. Well, for our kids, uh, if you got kids, then that, that's the most important disciples you got. And the key thing there is to love them with all you've got by God's grace. Stand with me. Friend, if you're in the room and you've never tasted and received the love of a father in heaven, do it now. Do it now. He waits for you. He loves you more than you could ever know. Crazy in love with you. Just breathe a prayer. Oh, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he'll save you. Pray with me, please. Lord God, bless every parent here. Encourage the dads. Lord, thank you for the dads at Wood's Edge. None of us are perfect, Lord God, but I love the dads here. Great dads all over the place. Bless them. Bless them. Bless every parent. Bless every child. Help us all, Lord God, to love as Christ loved us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.